the title of my message is Stewarding God's Great Gift, and it's t- I'm referring to kids, to children that God blesses us with, that they are a gift from the Lord. And as we gather to get today to, to do what we're going to do in just a little while in dedicating a child to the Lord, I just want to make sure that we understand as best we can what we do and why we do things. You know, as a church and with many of our past religious or Christian heritages, you know, dedicating a child to the Lord is maybe different than you're used to. Um, Baptism would be much more common for many of us here. For some of us, a lot of us here, we've dedicated children to the Lord here at the front of this church. Many of you have seen it and hopefully understand it. For some of you, it may be a new experience. And I want to make sure we understand what it is that's taking place when we dedicate a child to the Lord. You know, as a church, to the very best that we can as the Holy Spirit would lead us, we don't ever want to do anything that we can't find support for in the Scripture. And you probably understand that um, there are many things that are not specifically told us in the Scripture about a lot of things. And we're going to discover maybe that's true about baptizing of children or infants or dedicating children, for that matter. And as I go through this, my goal, my heart, is not, not to attack any other church, any other Christian church, and what they do. What I want us to do is to understand why victory does what we do, what we stand on. You know, we want to understand, I always tell people, you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. And when it comes to something like dedicating a child or baptism, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And sometimes um, I just assume maybe too much that everybody understands what we're doing. So for those of us that are very familiar with child dedication, we've done it with our own children, it's a really good reminder. It's a really good reminder of maybe the words that we spoke and agreed to even standing in the front of the church. As time passes, it's easy to forget some of the things that we've committed ourselves to. For those that this is completely new to, I hope you have a better understanding of what victory believes when it comes to dedicating a child to the Lord. I'm going to probably approach this, no, I am going to approach this from trying to answer sort of two questions, and there's no way I can't avoid a rabbit trail or two. But the two questions that I want to try to address is, what is a child dedication and what a child dedication is not, okay? And I'm going to start with what a child dedication is not. But before we do that, I better pray. So, Lord, we pray that you would help me to articulate what's on my heart, what I believe is from your word and what is on your heart. Father, that we would not be confused in any way about what we believe when it comes to child dedication. And Father, I pray that our hearts would be right and pure, that we are not trying to tear down any other Christian churches and their practices. In Jesus' name, amen. So in a little while, I'm going to be asking uh, Derek and Audrey Klinkner Klinkner, to be bringing their new son Daniel up here, and I'm going to be asking Justin and Kelsey Doom to bring their new son up here. And we're going to dedicate those two beautiful gifts to the Lord. 
But there's something about, and this may surprise some of us. Maybe not. Maybe I'm the only one that can be surprised. But dedicating a child to the Lord is not commanded in the Bible. It's not commanded in the Bible. Neither is baptizing an infant to the Lord, for that matter, commanded in the Bible. And it's, it's something that we do and we think is very important and we take it very seriously. And we can find examples in the Bible, but as far as a direct command from the Lord, nowhere does it say, thou must or thou shall dedicate your child to the Lord or else. It doesn't say that. A couple of the examples you're familiar with, and I'll mention these two a little later. One that we always talk about is Hannah with Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, it says, Hannah is speaking, says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him, so now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life will be given over to the Lord. Hannah's intent here, when we read this scripture and we look at the story of Hannah and her child, her intent here is to surrender her child to the Lord's service, specifically to the Lord's service, and to invite God's blessing on their son, this gift. And this is the kind of, kind of intention or dedication that we're hoping for when we dedicate a child. That we are dedicating that child and acknowledging that that child is a gift from the Lord. He truly belongs to the Lord. And we want to do everything in our power to help him fulfill the destiny that God has called this child to and the reason that he created this child. So we want to have that kind of heart towards this whole process. And most of us are familiar with Mary and Joseph and Jesus when they brought Jesus to the temple, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. In Luke chapter 2, verse 22, and in Luke 2, 40, it says, And the child grew, Jesus grew, and he became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So we have examples. And we can look back in the early history, and even pre-Christ history, obviously in the Old Testament, and we can see that it was a tradition practiced among many people. But it's not commanded by the Lord. Probably the thing I want to make the most clear is dedicating a child to the Lord does not save the child or anybody else. It does not. The words that are going to be spoken over these children, the actions that we might take, whatever is done here today, is not going to save that child. It's not even going to make that child more holy and more righteous. They'll probably still scream, mom and dad. It's not going to guarantee that that child's going to end up in heaven when he gets old. None of that's what's taking place. And we'll talk about baptism in just a minute, a little bit. And the reason that we've got to go to this point and we need to understand this is a scripture that's clear and, and common to all of us and probably known by most of us in Ephesians 2.8. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. Now I understand and I'm not going to go down this particular rabbit trail in some denominations they talk about baptism saving as an act of God's grace. I would disagree with that interpretation of Scripture. But it's something, no matter how we disagree, what we talk about, we cannot deny the fact that we are saved by grace through faith. 
period. No other way. And the Scripture goes on there and says to us and tells us that not only are we saved by grace through faith, and it's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's all Him. You and I were wooed by the grace of God before we were saved, right? We wouldn't have even turned to him. We wouldn't even cried out to him. We wouldn't even called out to him if his grace hadn't already been acting on our hearts. And then he gave us additional grace to receive the gift that he offered us unto salvation to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's all by grace. It's not by works. Dedicating a child, baptizing a child, anything you or I do to do good things, good deeds, good works, whatever it is, none of that saves us. Salvation by grace through faith in who Jesus was and what he has done and who he is, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Grace. Child dedication. And what I'm doing here kind of is trying to address questions that I personally get and maybe some of you have gotten when they ask you, why do you people at Victory do these things this way? And why don't you do these things? So hopefully you'll have a little bit better understanding and answer when it comes to this. Child dedication service is not related to baptism. I know a lot of us are from, or some maybe continue to go to, uh, some of us, um, our religious heritage, mine, mine certainly was, my wife certainly was, we pra- they practiced infant baptism. Our oldest daughter was baptized in a Lutheran church. And I'm not saying anything about good, bad, or otherwise. It's just the reality. That's where I grew up. That's what I understood. But when we dedicate a child, it is not related to that baptism. So it's not like well, we're, we're, we're trying to do something just a little bit different because somehow or other we're a little bit different, so we're not going to really baptize them. We're going to dedicate them, and it's really the same thing. No, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. First of all, you're not going to see us doing anything with water up here today, okay? It's not the same thing. When we look at it, we believe, and I think most Christian religions, denominations, whatever you want to call would agree on this point. Baptism is a very, very important thing. It's very important. Part of the Great Commission, going to all the world, making disciples and doing what? Baptizing them. Baptizing them. So it's not to diminish baptism. It's what we believe about baptism as Victory Church compared to what we may have grew up with. We personally believe that baptism is best demonstrated by immersion. Why? Because it demonstrates the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we believe baptism is to be an outward expression, you mean a public display, if you would, of what Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit have already done in me. So therefore, once I am saved, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, I need to follow the command to get baptized. And I'm making a public display, a public expression, an outward expression of an inward change. And we believe believe it's important. We believe we should all be as believers should be baptized. We call it believer's baptism amongst other things. But this dedicating of a child is not like baptism in any regard. Why do we not baptize infants? 
How many of you have been asked? You don't have to raise your hands. I've been asked that question so many times. So many times. And if you've dedicated a child here, here and you come from a, a Christian background where baptism of infants is a common procedure, you've probably been asked that question many times by family members that are concerned about you and love you and love their little grandchild or niece or aunt, aunt, uh, nephew, whatever it is. You've probably been asked that question. Why don't we do that? Well, if we believe baptism is a believer's baptism, that it's an outward expression of something that's already happened inside, there are some prerequisites that need to take place for a person to really be baptized. Remember, as I said earlier, baptizing infants is not commanded in Scripture. There's baptizing or dedicating infants commanded in Scripture. But there is a whole lot of things in the New Testament under the New Covenant that we can look at about baptism. Things that are, beset, are said in Scripture clearly would seem that there are prerequisites that need to be in place before baptism would be following the biblical pattern. I'm not going to dig into all these Scriptures, and I acknowledge before you that different denominations disagree very godly men and women disagree on some of what I am going to be sharing about baptism. But it's a question we get asked. I get asked a lot. Look at some of the scriptures. First of all, here's a couple of prerequisites that I think are clear in some of the scriptures I'm going to share, and I'm going to just go through them quickly. Some of the prerequisites is that we need to hear and understand the gospel before we can ever be saved. You've got to hear it. Hearing is one thing. Understanding it's another prerequisite of salvation. We need to then believe the gospel. Hearing it's one thing, understanding it's another, and then believing it is even a step further. I now believe it. I'm going to act upon it. I'm going to live in accordance to this new birth that I have received. We'll see in scriptures that repentance doesn't get talked about a lot anymore in a lot of places. But repentance, to repent of our sins, confessing our sins as an unbeliever. You know, we live our life and all of a sudden we hear the gospel. We begin to understand the gospel. We believe the gospel. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's working in our life and we need to repent and confess this sin and get baptized, confessing Christ. So here's a few scriptures and I think they're going to be on the screen, so I'm not going to really break, into, break them apart much, but in Mark 16, it said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Go into the world and preach. Let them hear the good news. And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Some will look at that in Scripture and say, then to be saved, you've got to be, believe and be baptized. No, you need to believe and then be baptized because if you read the rest of the verse, what's it say? It does not say if you don't believe or you don't get baptized, you're not saved. The emphasis here in the structure of this verse is the believing is the point of emphasis. You need to believe and then get baptized. Acts 2, or excuse me, Acts 8, verse 12. But when they believed Philip, what was Philip doing? He was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, and he was preaching about the name of Jesus Christ, 
And when you read the name of Jesus Christ, it means the totality of who he was and what he had done. He was preaching the gospel, the good news of the gospel. And they, then they were baptized, both men and women. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The gospel is the power. No mention of dedication, no mention of baptism. It's the power of the gospel to those who believe unto salvation. Romans, or Acts 2.38, Peter is now speaking and he's addressing the Pharisees. And he says, what do, they must, what do we must do? What must we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Repentance does no good for an unbeliever. Does that make sense to you? Only a believer can repent and have forgiveness of sins. An unbeliever can say, I'm sorry, and you might accept their apology. But only a believer can truly repent and receive forgiveness of sins. He says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Romans 10, verses 9 through 11, that if you confess with your mouth, confessing, confession that Jesus is Lord, and then you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you are confessed and are saved. Notice in these verses, and I'm just going through them so quickly, I know, but there is no mention whatsoever here in these last few verses when it's explaining clearly what salvation means. There's no mention of dedication or baptism. None. Because it doesn't save. Neither one. Now, a tough question that I get, and you probably have gotten if you've had these discussions. Mike, what about a baby that dies? What about my miscarried child? What about that aborted life? What about them? Do they go to heaven? Are they condemned to hell? All mankind is under the power of sin. There's a number of scriptures, and I'd love to spend more time on these, but I'm not going to. I'm going to just share a couple of thoughts that you may have not thought of here. The example I usually use is the story of David and Bathsheba, found in, in uh, Samuel, Second Samuel. Most of us are familiar with this story. We all might know that he committed sin with Bathsheba and they had a child and the child is sick and doesn't look like the child's going to get any better and during this time David is fasting and he is praying and he's doing the traditional thing with sackcloth and ashes at that time he's not eating at all and then the child dies. And the servants come to him because what they see is a complete change. Did I say Daniel? In David. Did I say David? I hope I said David. If I didn't, correct me. What changed? And in Second Samuel, we read in chapter 12, 
His servants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and you wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and you eat. And he answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let this child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. This child has passed away and died. This child who couldn't possibly understand the gospel message. And he says, I can go to him. And there are other scriptures you can look at. And again, I'm just going to read a couple of these. In Psalms 22, verse 9, you might want to write these down because these aren't going to be on the screen, I don't believe. This is about David. Can this baby, can this child be under the grace of God and be saved before they're even born? David writes, Yet you who are, you are he who took me from the womb. This is David speaking to the Lord. You are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Powerful. In Luke chapter 1, this is about John the Baptist. He says, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. We could say, yes, there was a special calling and a special anointing, and there certainly was. But what I want us to see is these babies or even pre-birth babies were under the grace of God. In John chapter 9, verse 41, Jesus is teaching. And there's a bunch of Pharisees. And he's been teaching and they don't like what he's teaching. And they say, well, what the heck? Are we blind? And he says to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. I believe they could not see. They had no spiritual revelation. I believe a person who lacks the natural capacity to see the revelation of God's glory and God's truth is not held accountable for it. And the last verse I wanted to read is in Romans 1 verse 20. Since the creation of the world... God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been seen, clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are willing, they are without excuse. The implication to me is clear. If I do not have the ability or the capacity to look at creation and say, wow, there must be a God. If I don't have that capacity, I'm not going to be held accountable. I believe all these verses, if you study them, would give every indication and give me a real peace to say in my heart, I believe every one of those babies, aborted babies, miscarried babies, babies that die at birth or right after birth, or those children that have not reached an age of accountability. And what do I mean by that? A child eventually reaches an age where they can understand evil. They can understand 
Jesus, his death, that he died for their sins. And they accept Jesus. There is an age of understanding. I don't know what that is. I don't believe you can set a particular age for any, every child. It depends on the children. It depends on their teaching, their upbringing, and the parents. But when they've reached that age of accountability, now they've got to make the same decision every one of us had to make. That Jesus is our Lord and Savior. I hope that helps a little bit. I hope it didn't create more confusion than it did clarity. So today we're going to be dedicating. What does it mean to dedicate? Set apart or being set apart for a sacred purpose. What is the sacred purpose? Well, we believe our sacred purpose is to raise up a child to fulfill the destiny God has for the child and that the child will bring glory to God. That's what, that's what our sacred purpose is. We dedicate this child is, is with the hope and the intentions to do everything that we can that this child achieves the destiny that God has for them and brings glory and honor to him. We dedicate children because we want to bless the children, but we also want to encourage Parents, the family, and we want to encourage them to follow the godly example and the godly principles of the Bible. That's why we will dedicate children. You're going to see as the parents come forward this morning that they're going to publicly dedicate their child and they're going to make some powerful statements and agree to some powerful statements. And then we as a congregation are going to be asked to agree to some powerful statements that we need to take seriously. We, we do not want this to be a religious activity. We want it to be something that has great meaning, not just in the life of the family and the parents that come forward, but also as us as the body of Christ, the family of victory. It's important to us. So I want to read just a few more scriptures. I know it's been a lot of scriptures. These are really cool ones. They're really fun ones. They're great ones. About our children. Psalm 127, verse 3. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Dedicating a child is an opportunity for the parents and us to acknowledge these children as God's incredible gifts from Him. Acknowledging that we are stewards of this amazing gift that he's blessed these families with. Psalms 24.1, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. This is a very, I guess, formal, if you want to call it formal, but it's a clear recognition by the parents that this child does belong to the Lord and that we are just given this child to steward as the Lord's. Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 8. I'll read this again in a little while. It says, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, and command your, commit yourselves to wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Dedicating a child's a public demonstration of this commitment that's being made by the family, the parents, but also us by us as the church, their church family. And lastly, Ephesians 6, verse 4. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children. Mothers, you could agree with that if you'd like. To anger by the way you treat them, rather bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. This is a challenge for the parents to raise their children children in the instruction of the Lord. So I, I, my heart was and hope is that we all have a better understanding of what we do and why we do it at Victory. And one of the things that I hope also happens is we are hearing what they committed to. We are reminded as parents, maybe grandparents, of what we've committed to with our own kids, grandkids, and now as a church, again, for all these young families. And it looks like we're going to have a few more dedications down the road in just a few months. Praise God for that. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you this morning. Ah, God, we thank you for your loving goodness towards us, that you bless us. You bless us with these beautiful children. You bless us with all that we have. You give it every day, God, that we are alive on this earth as a gift from you, and we thank you for that. Father, we pray as we leave this place, we go continually aware that we walk as your children. We walk not only as your children, we walk as your ambassadors, carrying the message of hope, carrying the truth that the world needs to hear. We pray, God, as we go, that you arrange those divine moments, divine moments where we can take the opportunity to share the hope that lives in us, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We pray for your protection that you would watch over us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.